Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we look to you this morning, in this new year, thankful for your grace, for your love, for this church family that we can gather together to sing your praises, to study your word, to share in life with one another. And I pray now, as we look to your word, that you would speak and minister to us uniquely, personally, intimately, in the way that you know that each of us needs. And that, Lord, as a result of hearing your word, we would leave changed, having spent time with you and with your people. So we commit this time of Bible study to you now. We pray all together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning, church. My wife and I, Michelle, and our daughter, Evangeline, are so blessed to come and worship with all of you here this morning. And uh, we love Apostles Church, as Pastor Daniel said, that we've been friends for many years serving together in ministry and so I've been able to come and visit here a few times but also just see the work that God has been doing from a distance a little bit down in Riverside and just seeing what God is doing and we give glory to God for the work that he is doing here and just thankful for your uh, journey of faith that you've been on and just so thankful for pastors Daniel and Ryan dear dear friends to us I admire them I look up to them as pastors and just thankful for what God is doing. And blessed to be able to come and share God's word with you today on this first Sunday of the new year. You know, we're only five days in, which is just enough time for us to have already broken all of our resolutions, right? Uh, Unless you're one of those that it was your resolution not to have any resolutions, then you're doing okay. But we all know that the passing of a day or a year on the calendar doesn't actually really change anything. For some of us, New Year's is just going to bed earlier now, and we don't even do a countdown anymore, and we wake up, and it's a normal day. But of course, New Year's provides an opportunity for us to refocus, to regroup, to reflect, and and it's not so much about a new year, new you, but it's recognizing it's a new year with new mercies, as God's mercies are new each and every day. So it's not so much new year, new you, but new year, same Jesus, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, and we look to him, and we get to receive his grace, we participate in the same mission of the church that Jesus instituted and that his followers have been doing for many, many years. And with that in mind, in this new year, I'd like for us to consider a prayer, a prayer for Jesus' church, one that was prayed many years ago by the Apostle Paul. And it's still relevant for us here today, relevant for you, relevant for this church family and how we should pray together. 
as it's already been read, it's the Apostle Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, his prayer for spiritual growth for the church in Ephesus. This prayer is very significant. It shows us God's heart for the church, how we should pray for our brothers and sisters, our faith family, and what kind of perspective we should have for spiritual growth, not just in our lives individually, but for our lives corporately together as a church. And so I've titled this prayer, this sermon, Onward and Upward. Onward and Upward from Ephesians 3 verses 14 to 21. Onward and Upward, it speaks a forward movement to go to a higher level. It's a common theme in Paul's writing. You might be familiar with Philippians chapter 3 verse 14 where Paul writes, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In a brief outline that we can see, we see Paul's prayer of moving onward in verses 14 to 19, but then also where he is looking upward in praise to God in verses 20 and 21. So onward and upward, prayer and praise. Now the context of this prayer is that Paul actually wrote it from prison. And so it's known as one of his prison epistles, but his prison prayers. Now that's unique because it's hard to envision what that would be like, being in prison yourself and writing a prayer for a church. But you look at the contents of this prayer and you see how, you know, so often we focus on physical needs in prayer, and that's good, and that's helpful and appropriate. But Paul, while in prison, suffering, he focused so much on the spiritual needs of the church, on the heart. And he focused so much on other people and their spiritual well-being. Just in reflecting on that truth and the contents of this prayer, I think we can learn so much of how to pray for the spiritual needs of our church family. Not, all, not only is it a prison prayer, but it's important to know that this prayer, of course, comes right in the middle of Ephesians, the entire book, Ephesians chapter 3. So it's helpful to look at what comes before and what comes after. In chapter 1, Paul gives another amazing prayer for the church, but that prayer is a prayer for the church's enlightenment. But now he's praying for their enablement. In other words, to live out who they are in Christ. First for them to know their power in Christ and now for them to live that power out. The book of Ephesians is often broken down into three simple sections. Our wealth in Christ, our walk with Christ, and our warfare for Christ. Our wealth in Christ. Chapter 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's a lot of blessing there. God is blessed and he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He say, hashtag blessed, right? We are a blessed people. God has blessed us. We are rich in Christ. But now we're called to live and walk that truth out. Ephesians 4.1 says, walk in a manner that is worthy of your calling in Christ. So we live out that truth. And one of the ways we live that out is we fight the good fight of faith. In Ephesians 6, Paul says to put on the full armor of God and we live out that truth. So this prayer comes right in the middle of Ephesians, more in the walk category. We know about our wealth, our riches in Christ, and now we are living that truth 
out. And of course, you can't have the second half of Ephesians without the first half. So we rely upon all that Jesus has done for us. And in light of that truth, now Paul is praying for the church to live that truth out. The only way we can move onward and upward is because of what has already been done for us, what Jesus has done. So church, that means our walk with Christ flows from our wealth in Christ. Our walk with Christ flows from our wealth in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Forgiveness leads to fellowship with God, which enables us to then fight the good fight of faith. It all flows from forgiveness. It all flows from forgiveness. God is a God of forgiveness. And maybe that's something you need to remember here this morning and starting a new year. God is a God of forgiveness. He's willing to forgive us many times in surprising ways. Now, as I mentioned, I have a daughter. She's four years old. And as we've been raising her and teaching her how to pray, of course, you pray at bedtime and at meals and at different times. And we've incorporated her to, to pray. And as we're getting ready for a meal one time, I said, Evangeline, why don't you go ahead and pray? And she prays and she says, dear God, please forgive me for my food. And we're like, huh? <laughs> you see, she mixed up the bedtime prayer, right? Forgive me for my sins with the mealtime prayer, asking God to bless this food. And I thought, you know, she's actually sort of right. Sometimes we need God to forgive us from our food, right? That, uh, you know, we go to the county fair and we get the, the Krispy Kreme donut chicken sandwich that's deep fried where the, the buns are Krispy Kreme donuts, you know, and then we go, oh, we're Christians, right? Lord, please bless this food to my body, right? And, and it's like, God's a God of miracles, but come on, right? And so we have forgiveness in our lives, and maybe that's a New Year's prayer for us. God, forgive me for my food, right? But we see this principle, that as forgiveness is given to us, then we are able to then live out that truth in fellowship and in walking with the Lord. Paul is praying that we would live lives that correspond to the spiritual wealth we have in Christ. Again, he's praying we live lives that correspond to the spiritual wealth we have in Christ. As we see Paul's prayer and praise in this passage, we also see his posture. How is Paul praying? Look at verse 14 with me. He says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Go ahead and look at chapter 3, verse 1 as well. He uses the same phrase, for this reason. Paul picks up this chapter, again, talking after talking about our wealth in Christ, he now starts to describe God's plan of salvation in chapter 3. And he talks about his responsibility to share this good news. And then he comes back to what seems to be maybe his original thought. And he picks back up saying, oh, well, for this reason. And here he now gives one long run-on sentence, one sentence in the original language. And he starts it off by saying, I bow my knees to the Father. This presents a special kind of reverence for a particular occasion. Of course, we can pray in any kind of posture, but here Paul is designating a special reverence for his care for the church and their spiritual well-being. And notice that Paul, as Jesus instructed us to pray, calls upon God as Father. Combine this with the, the text, and we see the involvement of the Spirit and the Son in here, and we see a Trinitarian shape 
to this prayer. It reminds us that a common way of praying in the New Testament is that we pray to the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. We pray to God. To the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. And we see this at play in this prayer, in this passage. So Paul continues saying that it's from the Father that, verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Paul mentions God's activity of naming every family as a way of stressing God's might and his sovereignty, that all life is derived from God, that he gives us our identity uniquely in the family of God as well. And that's what church is. We are one big family, the family that derives its very name from God. That if God is our father, what does that make us? Brothers and sisters, related by blood, not our own blood, but the blood of our Savior, who has adopted us into the family of God, that we belong to the Lord. The implication to this is that our identity isn't just who we are, but our identity is whose we are. It's not just who I am as a person and my name and my, my history, but whose I am. Who do I belong to? I belong, we belong to Jesus. So we can see this is a prison prayer, it's a family prayer, and it's a prayer for spiritual growth. We've looked at the context of it, and we can sense Paul's heart behind it, his pastoral heart. So let's look at the different components of this prayer. Titled Onward and Upward, this prayer, it builds like a staircase. It's moving forward. It's moving higher as it progresses. Now, this isn't like a stairmaster at the gym. Some of us with our resolutions will go and meet the stairmaster that we haven't been on for a long time, right? And you're just sort of moving in place, and you're not actually really going anywhere. Sort of my least favorite gym equipment, right? Or maybe you're like me and you've gone to the gym before and you park and then you sit there, you're like maybe check your phone a little bit before you go in and hit that little recline in the seat and oh, you're feeling a little tired and I actually fell asleep in the parking lot in my car at the gym, woke up, realized, oh my gosh, I have to go and I missed my entire workout. But it was probably the most productive time I've ever had at the gym. You're not actually going anywhere. There's no movement. But here, actual movement is taking place, moving onward and upward for spiritual growth. Paul prays for us to have three things, to have strength, to know love, and to be full. To have strength, love, and fullness, that's what we need. To have strength, to to strengthen our capacity to hold what God has for us. To have love. A lifestyle of love that helps us further and understand and experience God's love. And to have fullness, an ever-growing fullness of God's presence in our lives. So let's consider Paul's first point of prayer here. That we are strengthened through the Spirit. Verses 16 and the beginning of 17. We are first strengthened through the Spirit. Verse 16 says that according to the riches of His glory... He may grant you to be strengthened. Now, it's interesting. When people give something, like maybe we just did at Christmas, we usually give from what we have, not necessarily according to what we have. What I mean by this is just use your imagination. If I'm a billionaire, which I'm almost there, and I give you $10, 
I've given to you from my riches. But if I gave you hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars, I've given to you according to my riches. The first is portion. The second is proportion. You see, God gives not from his riches, but according to his riches. The source of the power we receive is the riches of his glory. This is the means by which we receive strength, by which God strengthens us. It's according to the riches of his glory. God gives on the scale and in the style of the wealth of his glory, which makes us consider that the resources available to fulfill this request are limitless. Paul recognizes as he's praying, the resources to answer his prayer requests are limitless. God is able to strengthen us. That God is more willing to even answer our prayers than we are to even pray. But notice, Paul isn't praying that God would give these riches to believers. He's praying that believers would be strengthened by them because they already have them. We already have the wealth in Christ, chapters 1 and 2, and now we are living that truth out. So he says that we're strengthened, and he says, verse 16, the second part of it, with power through his Spirit in your inner being. We are strengthened through the Spirit. The indwelling Spirit of God, it changes everything. God no longer dwells in their tabernacle or their temple of the Old Testament, but now in the temple of the Holy Spirit are bodies. Consider how the Spirit strengthens us. What does the Holy Spirit do? He gives power for service. He guides and directs. He gives us assurance of faith. He illuminates and reveals God's word to us. He comforts us. He guides us into all truth. He's the Spirit of truth. He purifies, unifies. He intercedes for us in prayer. He brings all things to remembrance and he builds up our faith. And most of all, what we see the Spirit doing is pointing us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit always points us to Jesus. It's his job. That's what he does. Which is why the next verse says that we are strengthened by the Spirit so that what? Look at verse 17, the beginning part. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Why are we strengthened by the Spirit? So that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. Think about that phrase, Christ dwelling in your heart. This suggests a growing nearness to the Lord as we allow the Lord to work in our lives. This doesn't refer to us asking Christ to come into our hearts as we often think of. I ask Jesus to come into my heart or we explain to children that Jesus is in your heart. But it's to recognize Christ's presence in our sanctification. Not salvation, but sanctification. That Paul uses the word dwell. It means to inhabit a house. And the context isn't just being in a house, but rather being at home there, settled down as a family member, not a visitor. And this makes us ask the, the question, are we treating Jesus as a visitor in the home of our hearts, or does he have permanent residence? So if Jesus came to your home, would we be ashamed of what's in it? If the doorbell rings and you walk up to the door and Jesus is there and he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, right? 
and you let him in, would you be ashamed of anything that's going on in your house, so to speak, or your heart? We want him to dwell there as someone that is at home, Paul is making reference. As we make our heart his home, we experience his love. John 14, verse 23, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And this leads us to our next point about the very love of Christ. Paul continues his prayer. We're strengthened by God's Spirit. We're indwelt by Christ. He prays that we'd be established in love so that we might experience love to the greatest degree, the very love of Christ. So it seems to be Paul's second point is that we would be loved by the Lord. Loved by the Lord, verse 17 to 19. The second part of 17, he says that you, being rooted and grounded in love. Paul is depicting a lifestyle of love. He says to be rooted and grounded. Choice words that he selected. It's agricultural. It's architectural language. Plants and buildings. Rooted and grounded to describe how nothing should shake our love. Like trees, our lives are to send down deep roots wide into the soil of love. Like buildings, our lives should have deep, solid foundations of love. Sunk deep and firmly fixed, our lives should be sustained and supported by love, the very love of Jesus. Look at verse 18, he says that we're rooted and grounded in love, and his prayer is that we may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints, everyone, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He prays that they may comprehend and know, literally to take hold of, to seize, to grasp. I think of the Apostle John in 1 John 3, 1, where he says, Behold, or see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. To see it, to behold it, to grasp the very love of God in Jesus. Here Paul describes four magnitudes of direction that express the vastness of God's love. He identifies breadth and length and height and depth. These are not four different categories of love. Rather, they seem to be poetic expressions that describe just how big God's love is. Consider these expressions that God's love is wide enough to embrace the world. His love is long enough to last forever. His love is high enough to take saints to heaven. And His love is deep enough to reach the lowest of sinners. This is to grasp the limitless love of Christ. Church family, can I remind you of Jesus' love here this morning? Consider Jesus in the incarnation, what we just celebrated at Christmas. That the scripture says, you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Consider Jesus' life, that he lived for you, meaning he perfectly followed God's will. He perfectly obeyed God's law, always doing what he should, never doing what he shouldn't, 
And in his righteousness and in his perfection, not only did he live for you, but he goes and he dies for you. Where our sin and the penalty for our sin is placed upon his shoulders and his righteousness and that perfection is given to us so that we can stand before God as being holy and righteous and pure because of what Jesus has done. Jesus died and then he rose again three days later. And in his resurrection, he ascended then to heaven where he now rules and reigns and will someday soon return again. Jesus conquered the grave, defeating our greatest enemy of sin, death, and Satan, and we have freedom in Christ. We are loved by Jesus here this morning. Do you see just how loved you are by Christ? And we're going to celebrate and we're going to remember this love here today with the communion table to come and to do this in remembrance, to remember what Jesus has done for us. That our sin runs deep, but his love is deeper. This truth here this morning, we can celebrate that Jesus is a greater Savior than we are sinners. Jesus is a greater Savior than you are a sinner, which means Jesus is better at saving than you are at sinning. And that is good news for all of us. This has mind-blowing implications for us. Why? Because the Apostle Paul says that his love does what? Surpasses knowledge or comprehension. You know, all the kids these days, they do those things called mind-blown, right? Like, mind-blown, right? That's the effect it should have on us. The love of Jesus, mind-blown. Go ahead and do that to your neighbor, just mind-blown. There you go, right? It should have this mind-blowing effect on us that his love goes beyond comprehension, Just as Philippians 4 says that we have a peace that surpasses understanding. This means that it goes beyond human knowledge. It's from an infinitely higher source than us. And we may not be able to comprehend this love fully, but we can know it truly. And if you're here today and maybe you're newer to the church and and maybe you don't know about this love of Jesus, today is a great day to be able to hear about God's love for you. That Jesus loves you and Jesus died for you and that you can come and accept the free gift of salvation by faith, admitting your sin and saying, I'm in need of a Savior and trusting and believing in what Jesus has done for you and trusting in that by faith, saying, I believe in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and receiving the free gift of salvation. And, And any of the leaders here today at this church would love to be able to talk to you further about what that means and to help you in your spiritual journey. But we can with confidence say that we are loved by Jesus. All of this continues to lead us onward and upward in this spiritual staircase. That as believers, we're strengthened through the Spirit, as we allow Christ to dwell in our hearts, as we know more of the love of Christ, something amazing happens to us. Paul says we are filled with the fullness of God. One of my favorite lines in Scripture, filled with the fullness of God. This is Paul's final prayer request, a prayer for fullness. It's our last point here this morning, that we would be filled with the fullness of God. Verse 19 the second part of it. We all know what it's like to be full. Just think back to Thanksgiving and you're so full and sleepy you can't help but enter into a food coma. 
Here, this phrase can be translated, fill with God to the full. Again, to be filled with God to the full. Totally filled with God and emptied of self. That I would decrease and Jesus would increase in my life. Paul seems to be praying that we would be filled up to all the fullness that's in God himself. It's like sticking a bucket into the ocean. Now, I assume most of you like the beach because, hey, it's like right there, right? I've enjoyed taking my daughter to the beach over the years, and she has all these little, you know, sand toys and stuff. And she has a little rake, which is pretty much like a giant fork for her to eat sand with, right? But then we go down to the water, and we take this bucket, and I fill the, the bucket up with water. And I can try to explain that we filled the bucket with ocean, that the ocean is in the bucket. And as she looks at the vastness of the ocean, just seeing it until she can't see any further, that that water is actually in the bucket. The bucket is filled with the fullness of the Pacific. But of course, we can never put the fullness of the Pacific into the bucket. You see, when we dip our lives into God, we become full of his fullness. We can always hold more and more. It's a prayer for us to be filled and filled and filled and filled with God's infinite resources. This passage reminds me, this prayer reminds me of the apostles' experience in John chapter 1. Where John says, the word became flesh and he came and he dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father full of grace and truth, and it's from his fullness that we have all received grace upon grace. From the fullness of Christ, we receive grace upon grace. I love looking out to the vastness of the ocean, and you see until you can't see any further, but then you just have a couple waves that come at the very end and hit the shoreline there. And it's almost like as wave is upon wave that we experience, so grace is upon grace from the fullness of not the ocean, but the fullness of Christ himself. In reflection upon this, as we start a new year, we think about living life to the fullest, right? We hear that phrase all the time, live life to its fullest. Well, if you truly want to live life to its fullest, then be filled with all of the fullness of God. That's living life to the fullness, living the life we were created to live in Christ. So to summarize Paul's prayer, our lives are to be strengthened through the Spirit according to his riches so that we can then experience more of life. His life, Christ, fills us and it enlarge our capacity to then hold more and more of him. And in this, we continue to move onward and upward for Christ and for his kingdom. Everything in this prayer is leading to one thing. It's building, again, like a staircase. It's, it's going forward and upward, and it's leading to praise. Verses 20 and 21, you can look at them with me. They're known as a doxology which is a word that just describes a, a sudden burst of praise, of worship to the Lord. It's almost like Paul couldn't contain himself as he's talking about the strengthening effect of the Spirit, the, the, the limitless love of Christ, the fullness of God himself. It leads him to just then praise and give glory to God. Verse 20, 
Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Paul realizes that the God he's praying to has a capacity which exceeds his own capacity of even asking or thinking. He can do above and beyond all we could ask or think. That God is not limited to our asking. This is an amazing truth that God's power even exceeds our petition. God's power exceeds our petition. And that should shape and inform the way that we pray and the the confidence that we have in our Lord as we pray. That He knows best. He knows our needs better than we know them. And so that's why we can ultimately submit ourselves to God and say, Not my will be done, but your will be done. Look at the structure of this praise. He's able to do all. He's able to do above all, abundantly above all, exceedingly above all that you can ask or think in your life. For there is an incredible power that's at work in this prayer. What's that power? It's everything that Paul has prayed. The Spirit of God strengthening us. The Son of God loving us. The Father filling us. This is the most fitting conclusion to that triune work. The Spirit's strength the Lord's love, and the Father's filling. And Paul concludes verse 21 by saying, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul ultimately gives God glory. What does that mean? Glory, sometimes it can be one of those Christianese words, right? We say it a lot and it's like, what exactly does glory mean? One author says, glorifying God means feeling and thinking and acting in ways that reflect his greatness. It's to make much of God, to give evidence of the supreme greatness of all of his attributes and the all-satisfying beauty of his manifold perfections. It's the glory of God. And Paul says, we get to do this forever and ever throughout all generations, young and old and everyone in between, the family of God in each generation forever and ever. For all time. I could picture the church in Ephesus in receiving this prayer, knowing that Paul is praying this for them, would resound with a hearty amen and say, Yes, Lord, we agree. Amen. So be it. And the same is true for us here today. In conclusion, as we consider God's word this morning, we see Paul's posture that his knees are bent before the Lord on behalf of this church. We see Paul's prayer that his heart is opened and he has a, a pastoral love and care for them. And we see Paul's praise, that his hands are lifted, wanting to give glory and praise to God. And this should be our prayer as we begin a new year. And many of the prayers in the New Testament, they're so helpful to us because they give us language sometimes when we don't know what to pray. This is a wonderful prayer to be able to pray for Apostles' Church as we begin this year, to move onward and upward, to be strengthened, to experience the Spirit's renewing power in your life. Love, that you would be love-struck each and every day in awe of the love of Jesus that he has for you, and that you would be full to be all that God wants you to be in Christ, and you get to do this together as the family of God forever and ever. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word to us here this morning. That in reflection upon this prayer, 
your heart, the Apostle Paul's heart for, for the church, for this church, that the church is the family of God, that the church is strengthened by the power of the Spirit, that the church is loved by the limitless love of Christ, that the church is filled with all the fullness of God, and that in response, the church gives you glory. May that be true of us, Lord. May you strengthen us. May we sense your love in the cross of Christ, where God demonstrated his love and that he died for us while we were sinners. That, God, we would be filled with all the fullness, that from your fullness we all receive grace upon grace. We thank you, Lord, that you are always with us, that you strengthen us, you love us, and you fill us. And that's our prayer for today, for this church, for this new year. Thanking you, Lord, that your power is at work in our lives. And we, in response, we give you glory. Thank you, Lord, for doing abundantly above all we could ask or think. That we give you glory here this morning. And we respond to your word with thankfulness. We pray this all together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.